Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Welcome to Murder Mile. Today, I'm standing outside of Westminster Cathedral, SW1. Two streets southwest of the elderly bedmate slain by Martha Browning. Two streets west of the assassination of the war criminal, Sir Michael O'Dwyer. And a short walk south of the last fling of the failed dancer. Coming soon to Murder Mile. Set beside Victoria Station, Westminster Cathedral is an architectural triumph swished amongst a sea of glass and steel monstrosities. Completed in 1903, those who were only religious when chocolate is involved often flocked to this Roman Catholic place of worship to mime to hymns that nobody knows, to ask God to solve a trivial spat as if he's not busy enough, to act as if symbolically quaffing the blood and flesh of a man they claim to love isn't weird. And to tell a stranger, hiding behind an ornate glory hole, all of their sins. Which he forgives if they say Jesus' mum's name five times. Although I doubt it's legally binding. Constructed of 12 million red and cream bricks, the most startling part of this wondrous building is the Campanile. Also known as St. Edward's Tower, this 284-foot tower reaches the sky, rising 170 feet higher than the cathedral itself. And from Ambrosden Avenue, it's dizzying to look up at. High up on the parapet, visitors stand in awe at its stunning views of the London skyline, with some struck with a sense of divinity being just one step closer to God. And yet in one case in particular, that closeness would become all too true. On Saturday the 23rd of February 1924, at 11.30am, 37-year-old Margaret Davy, known as Maggie, entered the cathedral like any other visitor. She bought a ticket, she ascended the stairs, she smiled, and she didn't make a sound. Almost three hours later, having climbed the railing, 
she hurled her body from the parapet and it smashed onto the hardstone road of Ambrosden Avenue. But why did she want to die? Why did she choose that moment? Why did she pick such a public place as the Campanile? And why did she take the lives of two innocents who were just eating their lunch? My name is Michael. I'm your tour guide. This is Murder Mile. Episode 189. Maggie's Fall. No one can truly understand the rhyme or reason why a seemingly sane person would feel compelled to take their life. Even if they left a note explaining everything, it can still be a mystery, even to themselves. Margaret Davy was born in 1887 as Margaret Ann Chisholm. Raised in the former town of Inverness, in the highlands of northeast Scotland, Maggie's upbringing was as loving as anyone could wish for. As the third eldest of ultimately seven children, born to James, a local blacksmith, and Catherine, a working mum, the family were never without food or warmth, even amidst the harshest of winters. Snuggled in a small sandstone cottage in the heart of the town and nestled on the banks of the River Ness, by 1891, although all the children were under seven years old, Jemima, John, Margaret, William and Archie were protected by an extended family in Inverness, but also in the nearby village of Kiltality. As the breadwinner, work remained steady, as with the never-ending flow of horses and barges up the length of the Caledonian Canal. James would have a steady supply of business until his dying days. Like so many others, their lives were good but hard, solid yet loving. They suffered the same hardships as their neighbours, and they fought through their trials and tribulations by the closeness of their bond. By 1901, Mum and Dad remained as tight as ever, and with the family expanded by two more, Catherine and Christina. Jemima was working as a domestic servant. John assisted his dad at the docks. Maggie, William and their two younger sisters were both in school. But sadly, Archie had succumbed to TB. Given the era, the sad demise of baby Archie was all too common. And whether this trauma had plagued on Maggie's mind up to the moment of her own demise is unknown. But by all accounts, the Chisholms were not a family played by alcohol, abuse, insanity or neglect. By 1910, Maggie left Scotland and moved to London seeking work, where she remained in touch with her loved ones. At this point in her story, you may expect Maggie's life to fall apart. But it was not to be.
as the mirror of her mother, being petite but sturdy, and a big-hearted girl who was forever pleasant and polite. People often heard Maggie before they saw her, owing to her fondness for whistling little ditties, to keep her spirits up when she worked, and to keep the distant shadow of black moods at bay. In the summer of 1913, Maggie married Edwin James Davy after a brief but loving courtship. As a man in the mould of her own father, he earned a decent living as an upholsterer. He was moral, he was kind, and as a dedicated husband, he always put his family above himself. In the summer of 1916, Maggie gave birth to Catherine, who she named after her mother. And in the winter of 1921, Margaret was born, who she named after herself. Both daughters were healthy and happy. And to accommodate this blossoming brood, Maggie and Edwin Davy moved into a ground floor flat at 27 Bridge Avenue in Hammersmith, where they lived for the last three years of their ten-year marriage. By 1924, the Davies were living a life as ordinary as any other family. A regular income ensured they were fed and warm, with no debts, late rent, or financial worries to trouble them. As a quiet couple, it wasn't in their nature to argue or fight. And the future of this little family looked all calm and rosy. With Catherine aged seven, and Margaret having just passed two, Maggie was considering returning to work part-time, as she liked to be kept busy. Only this next step in their lives would never happen, as Margaret's mind was fixated on death. The inquest was held at Westminster Coroner's Court on Thursday the 28th of February. Being just five days since Maggie had plummeted to her death from the Campanile, his last duteous husband had been to formally identify the smashed and shattered remains of what they had scraped off the road below. Stood alone before the coroner, Edwin's face was ashen and his eyes were red raw. As his throat croaked a smattering of croaky words to answer the question his dead wife had failed to answer. Why? With a calm compassion, the deputy coroner, Mr. Douglas Cowburn, inquired for this broken man about her history and home life. For any clue as to what had driven this good woman to do the unthinkable. Barely able to contain his grief, Edwin spoke of Maggie as a loyal wife and an exceptional mother, who was the rock of what neighbours described as a devoted couple with two adorable children. The coroner asked, May we take it that generally your life has been a happy one 
To which Edwin replied, Sir, you ought to have been at my home to have seen it. Happiness was not the word for it. Living an honest and decent life, together they had strived to keep everything as simple as possible. Described as bright and happy, Maggie was a mother who was devoted to her children in every way possible. Arriving from Inverness, her siblings were certain that this must have been a mishap or a slip. Only the court knew that it wasn't. During the summer of 1923, just nine months earlier, I noticed a change in my wife's mood. She got neglectful of her household duties, but never towards the children. She would sit in a dazed state. She complained of pains in her head, getting gradually more depressed for the last six months. Across her decline, he asked her what was wrong but she said that she was fine. He begged her to see a doctor, but she had always refused. And reassuring him that her black moods would pass. Sadly, it did not. And yet if her home life was good, why did she choose to end it? The summer of 1923 was unremarkable in Maggie's eyes. Stanley Baldwin had become Prime Minister, and although she was entitled to vote, she was neither a Tory nor political. In July, a dock worker strike had hit Britain, but she was unaffected. And that same month, the Matrimonial Causes Act had made adultery a sole ground for divorce by either a husband or a wife. But as their marriage was as strong as ever, a separation or divorce had never been discussed, and neither Maggie nor Edwin were having an affair. She hadn't succumbed to any illness or diseases, and there were no known tragedies or traumas. As with many women, the 1920s was a time of unprecedented change, which could have put undue pressure on this married mother of two. And although the horrors of the First World War were gone, and the Roaring Twenties had begun, the Victorian morals of values still existed, and some still do. In 1919, the Sex Discrimination Removal Act had given women access to greater jobs. But again, this required an education and training, which wasn't still is, denied to too many women, especially in the working classes. Times were changing, both too fast and too slow. By 1922, the Law of Property Act meant that women could hold and dispose of inherited property on the same terms as men. And yet, a woman couldn't open a bank account, apply for a loan, or hold a mortgage in her own name until 1975. That same decade saw the Equal Pay Act become law which decreed that a woman should be paid the same as a man for doing the same job. And yet half a century on, 
that same battle is still being fought in British courts. And up until the 1980s, 60 years after Maggie's death, it was still a point of debate if a woman was seen wearing trousers or smoking a cigarette in public. And it was still perfectly legal to refuse to serve a woman a drink in a pub. By the 1920s, a woman's freedom was emerging, but it was limited. In Maggie's era, access to contraception was strictly limited. An abortion on any ground was illegal and punishable by life in prison. And yet, rape was not considered a criminal offence within a marriage. But again, as an unassuming woman who rarely expressed her gloom, we can never be sure how much, if any, of the changes of the 1920s affected Maggie or her mood. And proud to be a wife and mother, she lived simply, quietly, and when stress arose, she whistled away her worries with a happy little tune. Edwin would state, she had never expressed a desire to end her life, but given her apathy and lack of self-worth, all we can assume is that she may have suffered from postpartum depression. In the 1920s, PPD was misunderstood. As experts of that era had theorized that depression during childbirth had no relationship to pregnancy, and they had even attributed it to suppressed homosexuality. As we now know, if left untreated, it can be highly destructive to a woman's mental well-being. And in rare cases, postpartum depression can appear as postpartum psychosis, leading to self-harm, suicide, and even infanticide. But as Maggie spoke to no one, she took a motive to her grave. And yet, whether by coincidence or not, her suicide had been foretold just three years before her death. This is the British Broadcasting Corporation. It is said that Margaret Davies' death had similarities to another. On the 19th of January 1921, 42-year-old Portuguese Countess de Ribeira de Grande was in convalescence for her nerves under the 24-hour care of noted physician Sir Bruce Porter of Mayfair. Watch day and night as the Countess had expressed morbid desires. In a brief aberration of duty, she eluded the nurse's care and fled to Westminster Cathedral. Last seen smiling by Mr. George Crook, doorkeeper of the Campanile, he described her mood that day as pleasant as she ascended the tower. Officials would state, safeguards such as a three-foot railing were in place to ensure that falls do not happen. Moments later, Mr. George Crook witnessed what he would describe as a curious thud 
as the Countess left to her death. Her body was found on a balcony, 20 feet above Ambrosden Avenue. A verdict was returned by the Westminster coroner. A suicide was of unsound mind. As a local story, which featured in the borough's newspapers, we can never be sure if Maggie had read about the Countess's tragic demise. But their suicides have too many similarities to be coincidence. The dates, the place, the methods, and their moods. Rising the tower like they hadn't a care in the world. So whether the Countess's suicide was an inspiration or coincidence, their deaths had one major difference. Saturday the 23rd of February 1924 began as any ordinary day for the Davy family. Waking up at the crack of dawn, Maggie had slept soundly as any mother of two children, a husband and a house to run. At 7am, the family of four sat in their warm kitchen eating a breakfast of hot tea and buttery toast. Maggie's emotions had been erratic, but the love of her husband and the beaming faces of her beloved babies had been the one constant which kept her spirits high. Edwin told the inquest, She prepared breakfast in the usual way. I left for my business at 7.20am. Leaving his home in Hammersmith, he kissed his wife goodbye and said see you later. later. Not knowing that it would be the last time he would plant a kiss on her lips, the very last time he would see her alive, and by the time he had returned, his life would be ruined. With no school that day, Maggie washed seven-year-old Catherine and Margaret now two and a half, and dressed both girls in the right clothes for a nice day out in the city. With a bitter winter wind biting and the ground crunching with a frosty snap, they donned their gloves, scarves and bobble hats. Everything was as ordinary as any day prior. The girls were excited for a fun day out at a local landmark. Maggie had enough money in her purse for travel and sundries. She had written a note to Edwin and had left it by their bed. And as kids are always hungry, she had made them ham sandwiches cut into triangles. Shortly after 10am, a neighbour saw Maggie and her girls leave home. Although she seemed to be pale, I did not notice that she was agitated. I thought she was going out shopping, which she did. At 11am, they hopped on the District Line train, travelling seven stops east to Victoria, and amongst a sea of locals and tourists. Together, they strolled a short, four-minute walk to the majesty of Westminster Cathedral. Cathedral. 
being a weekend. The piazza was a hive of gawping faces, staring in awe at this relatively new cathedral, whose architecture harked back to a more ancient time of Christianity, and a place where people could be at one with God. Being free to enter, the inside was busier than out, as it was warmer and quieter. For Maggie's kids, the cathedral must have been a sight of wonder. A colossal red and cream bricked behemoth, which emanated with a fragrant incense and echoed with a heavenly hum of pipe music. As a glimpse of winter sun shone through the stained glass windows and sparkled this cavern of gold. Like any other family, they blended in as they smiled and pointed at these sights of awe. Only they had not planned to go inside the cathedral that day. They had decided to go up. Craning their necks back as far as they could bend, the campanile stretched skyward until it almost touched the clouds. The time was roughly 11.30 a.m. For many, the day was too bitterly cold to ascend the campanile and stand a full 284 feet into the sky. But wearing their winter woolies and clutching a paper bag of ham sandwiches, it didn't seem strange for George Crook, the doorkeeper, who had witnessed a similar suicide just three years before. At the inquest, George spoke of how he had no suspicions of what Maggie was about to do. They were smiling and happy. They wanted to see what London looked like from such a height. She paid six pence for each of them, even asking half price for the kiddies. I let them in, and I thought no more about it. No one noticed Maggie that day, as although to us it was clear what her motive was. With no cries, no tears and no screams, only the excitable chatter as they climbed the stone steps to the parapet. The only words heard was what sights they may see from the top. Maybe their home, or maybe their daddy. At 11.40am, Maggie and her children reached the parapet. And there they stayed for almost two and a half hours. On a clear day, you can see right across the city. Being so cold, Maggie and her girls were the only people on the parapet that day. With an iron railing in place, it was decreed as safe, a place impossible to fall from. And no one was worried about where they had got to, as George Crook would later explain to the jury. Sometimes people go up for minutes, others go up there for hours. We have no idea what happened over those missing hours, as nobody saw them and nobody heard them. 
with the half-eaten remains of some ham sandwiches found in a paper bag. We know that they ate lunch, but we know little else. They may have hugged, they may have kissed, and they may have cried. But one thing was for certain. Maggie had death on her mind. At 2.10pm, beyond the silence of his office by the north door, George Crook heard a thud. A deep, heavy thud, as if something soft had smacked fast into something hard. Not a brick falling, not a piece of timber, and not a sack of spuds but something both unmistakably familiar and horrifying to him. A silence followed. And then, so did the screaming. As below the tower, embedded between the path and the road of Ambrosden Avenue, lay a barely recognizable mess of twisted limbs and broken bones, all of which were bathed in a spattered white sea of red blood and green gastric fluids, which sprayed up the tower's wall and emanated a thick rising steam on the cold winter street, like a spirit escaping its pain. What we know is that it was once a body and it was once a female. But it was not Maggie. Having thrown seven-year-old Catherine to her death, with the youngest in her arms, Maggie assailed the wrought island railing over the parapet of the Campanile. According to witnesses, there was no cry, no struggle. As this distraught mother released her grip to join her child, who was already dead. Falling at a quickening speed of 35 meters per second, Having let go of her baby, Maggie's fall lasted just two seconds as she hit the road at 90 miles an hour. But being a third of her mother's size and a quarter of her weight, the toddler impacted the pavement made of crushed stone half a second later. We can only hope that their hearts gave out during the fall, but we can never know that for certain. A lift attendant went to Catherine's aid, but would state, her head was terribly battered and her skull broken. When I reached her, she had ceased to breathe. Likewise, Maggie. And as a porter rushed to aid baby Margaret, he recalled, I think that every bone in the poor little kid's body had been broken. With every breath expelled from their bodies, their hearts having ruptured and their skulls smashed, 
there was no hope of saving this tragic threesome, and their remains were taken to a mortuary. At 1.30pm, as per usual, Edwin returned home to have lunch with his wife and children. Only the house was empty and his family were gone. Beside his bed, he found a note in his wife's handwriting. It read, Dearest Jack, thank you for all you have done for me. You have been a good husband and father. I am taking the kiddies with me. Nothing seems to go right. Please forgive me, Maggie. It was a final note which said everything, but explained nothing. And although, when he was reading it, his wife and children were still alive, with no idea where they had gone or how to find them, when he reported them missing, the police confirmed that they were dead. In the mortuary of St. George's Hospital by Hyde Park, Edwin identified not only the shattered remains of his wife, but also of his children. Two innocents, who were simply enjoying a day out and eating their lunch. Dr. G.R. Matthews, house surgeon at St. George's, said that death would have been instantaneous. Held at Westminster Coroner's Court on the 28th of February 1924, Edwin Davy was described as very much distressed as he tearfully gave evidence of how his wife had killed herself and their children. With her suicide note being of little use and her past showing no clear history of depression, suicide or a morbid desire to harm her loved ones, the jury returned a verdict that Maggie had committed suicide whilst of unsound mind and that the children were deliberately murdered by their mother. 24 years later, Edwin Davy died of a heart attack. He had never remarried and had no more children. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. 
J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Oh, Christ, lordy, lordy up on high. Oh, hello everyone. Take your little hat off. There we go. There's your little hat off. You can, oh, Christ. Oh, that was a a longer record than normal. I think as I'm out of practice because I've had three weeks off doing research, so I've been out of practice. Also, the little bastards in their little, the little pointless little men who have those little, uh, oh, let's get a little two-seater aircraft and let's fly over the canal all day, every day. Oh, little bastards are out today. Oh, little shits. Oh, I hope they all crash. Oh, it's just, just, it's just annoying, isn't it? Like we've, we've got to the point in the world now where we've got cars and cars, uh, many of them are nice and quiet and they're, they're electric and your aircraft they haven't sorted out aircraft aircraft can be as noisy as you like and they can be a mile in the sky and it can be deafening and you just think sort that out oh cool dear the grumbles are back um welcome to extra mile everyone uh been a while uh hope hope you've all enjoyed uh my my daily inches Ooh, uh, um of course, now we've got our run of murder miles to take us through to uh, Christmas. Ooh, exciting. I'm just going to open some windows. Oh, and pop on the tea, which I prepped. Oh, windows open, get some fresh air in. Prep me tea. Let's put water in. I think so. That'll, that'll, that'll have to do. That'll do, pig. There we go. Not calling you pig. I'm, I'm doing my uh, impression of babe. Ah, oh, so yeah, Daily Inch. Hope you enjoyed that. I always like to try and give you something different while I'm... Uh, oh, did I say Extra Mile, unscripted, unedited? If you're new to Murder Mile, this is the bit where uh, I have a little bit of a waffle. We do some quiz questions. I dive into some stuff that may not be in the episode. Uh, but just while I'm making a cup of tea, I have a bit of a waffle. <sighs> Daily Inch. So, yeah, I always try and give you something different to listen to while I'm away. hope you enjoyed that. Uh, just thought it would be fun just to do a, a daily thing. It, that's not going to become a very regular thing because they're really hard to do. Uh, and I just don't have time to do them. But if you're a Patreon subscriber, this is going to be a new thing. So, um, ducks outside being freaking annoying. Uh, so, if you're a Patreon subscriber... So, um... There are currently four tiers on, uh, not tiers as in, although sometimes it might be, um, four tiers on Patreon. So the highest tier, the $15 tier, you'll be getting um, a noisy freaking duck. That's what you'll get. You'll get uh, uh, you'll get daily inch, which will be a weekly inch, uh, once, once a week. So that'll be across eight weeks. The second tier, that's the $10 tier, uh, you'll get those fortnightly. 
uh, th- uh, the through the seven dollar tier, uh, you will get the monthly, and not for the three dollar tier. I've got to make all the tiers different. So, um, um, and then what I'll do is I'll do a run of these up until Christmas. So it'll be a run of eight. Then we'll have a little break. Then I'll do another run of eight. I'm just going to make sure that I've that people don't get bored with them, but also I don't get too tired as well because I, I want to make sure that I I can enjoy my life as opposed to just doing murder mile all the time uh what else is going on it's been pissing down for the last two days it's been torrential and it's been great thunderstorms which has been good i've been out recording thunderstorms uh which will go into the podcast and all the have got some nice rain effects which have been good hard to get a good rain effect because sometimes when you're recording rain it sounds like a hiss whereas and if you're indoors or you're under an umbrella, it doesn't sound right. So I've managed to find a place that's good to record rain. So that's good. Uh, uh, currently, the sun is out. It's looking very nice. Uh, just opposite me on a kind of a, an angled bank, there are uh, swans and coots and uh, moorhens and ducks all having a nice sit because it's a nice place that catches the sun in the afternoon. So they're all sitting there having a bit of a sun breath, except noisy effing duck who is being a right tit at the moment uh what else anyway um i i had uh, fun in the archives i always like being in the archives uh diving into some new cases that were coming some of most of whom i'd already done for kind of this right some i wanted to finish off for this run because there's a lot that still needed extra research these are cases that you won't find in newspapers or you won't find a lot in newspapers so you need the original police files which is why it takes me so long to kind of reach research all these uh, and some of them are cases i I'm, only because i'm preempting the fact that we in case we get another covid outbreak over winter because we haven't really had flus and our jabs will have worn off i'm preempting this by trying to get into the archives as much as possible and copying files so if the archives do shut down for a couple of months i'll still be okay that's how i do things i preempt oh right uh thank you to patreon subscribers uh this is a slightly delayed one because as you know i, I didn't do a thank you patrons with my daily inches i was waiting for this bit so thank you to uh Corinne Hayes, thank you. Nicola Endicott, thank you. Jessamine Florence, thank you. Ali Cerrone, or is that, is that Caroni? Ali Cerrone, it's C E R O N E, could be Cerrone. Um, there's so many different ways of pronouncing things. Angie La, I can, see, I can do that one. Deborah Hall, I can do that one. Uh, Maritza Paniaitu. I only know that you, I can pronounce your name Paniai too because that's George Michael's uh, proper surname. Uh, and Tiny Wednesday. Is that your real name? I know it's not your real name. Uh, so thank you to everyone. Karina, Nicola, Jessamine, uh, Ali, Angie, Deborah, Maritza and Tiny. Thank you very much. Ooh, look, my tea is just about to brew. Let's... Wow, wow, wow. Pop it in there. There we go. Oh, it is a Yorkshire uh, biscuit tea. It's nice. It's a little bit sweeter, so you don't you don't need to have uh, extra sugar in it. And it's I think they add something that mimics milk as well, so it's very good. Um, uh, thank you for uh, to donations from uh, Damien Twaog. Oh, I knew I was going to get this right wrong. Damien Twaog's Twaogowski. 
T-W-A-R-O-G-O-W-S-K-I. I did it right yesterday and I fucked it up today. Uh, anyway, it was, lo- it was lovely to, we got to meet in, in town. So it was lovely to meet you both. Uh, Vicky Gervais, thank you so much for your donation. And Lucy Barr, thank you for your donation. So they donated via the, um, the Murder Mile website, uh, which you can make little donations if you want to. It's not essential, but you know, it's very kind if you do. And also via the supporter app, which is a link in the show notes, uh, Cat and Terry. Uh, I apologize to anyone if you do donate through there. They, they don't let us know when there's a donation. So, and I, and I have a tendency to forget that a supporter even exists. Whereas the ones that go to my website, the email comes straight to me and I can email you direct. The supporter ones, they don't send us your email address. Uh, they don't let us know that you've, it's, it's, it's a, it's an okay system, but it's just a bit bad. So, uh, uh, so unfortunately, if you do <laughs> send a donation, unfortunately, I don't get to know about it uh, until I check. Uh, and there's no way for me to email you back to say thank you, which is which is I, I think is really annoying. I have messaged them about it; they don't reply. Right, let's do some quiz questions. Whoa. Question number one: uh, It is called the Campanile, but what is the tower actually called? Don't forget the answers to the questions will be at the end of uh, this uh, extra mile, unless I course I fuck it up. Uh, question number two: uh, Who is the tower named after? Question number three: In which decade could you still legally refuse to serve a woman a drink in a pub? I know women in pubs. Oh, disgraceful! Cool, blimey. Uh, question number four. What nationality was the countess whose suicide was similar? What nationality was the countess whose whose suicide was similar to Maggie's? So the 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 countess who had a suicide, which was similar to Maggie's, what was her nationality? See, that's a better way to write the bloody question. Uh, question number five: How tall in feet was the tower? Question number six: How many siblings did Maggie have in total? Question number seven. Uh, what two bodies of water did the Chisholm family, who were, that's Maggie's uh, real name, her original family, what two bodies of water did, did the Chisholm family live by and work by? Question number eight. What did Edwin Davy do as a job? Question nine. How many stops east is Hammersmith to Victoria on the district, on the district line? I'm struggling to talk today. Uh, question number 10. What did Archie, who was Maggie's youngest brother, die of? That was a nice happy question. And I said it while burping as well. Lovely. Hear that? Little wanker in a, a helicopter above. One little wanker all by himself just going, oh yeah, yeah, oh just, oh, oh, I need to be in a business meeting, I need to be in a business meeting, I need to be urgent, I, I can't get a car, so I'll have to fly there, but I won't be able to arrive at the business meeting in my helicopter, I'll have to arrive at an airport outside and get a taxi in, and then when I get there, I can say to all my friends, I've just flown my helicopter in. Utter twats, utter twats. Right, let's have a look at this stuff. So, um, the uh, the Countess de Ribiera de Grant, um, 
Now, interesting, I, I only knew a bit about this case when I started. I found the inquest file. I think I've, I found reference to it in uh, a murder inside a newspaper, and that kind of led me down a little path. And I did actually wonder if there'd been other suicides in or near this building before, but I hadn't really realised that there was a, uh, a suicide that was almost identical and happened almost exactly three years earlier, and they were almost the same ages as well. So... Um, so that was interesting. Um, inquest was held at Westminster Coroner's Court, the same as Maggie's. Uh, she was 42 years old, the uh, Countess de Ribiera de Grand. Uh, Maggie was 37. Uh, difference is that she was being looked after as a patient of Sir Bruce Porter of Mayfair, who uh, she was a personal friend of ex-Queen Amelia. Ooh, and she'd been under care since 1918, so that's three years from nervous exhaustion, so a similar predicament there she was living in a nursing home with a nurse suffering from depression a couple of months before she'd expressed a feeling of wanting to throw herself out of the window therefore uh, uh sir bruce porter well i mean he's got to be a good doctor hasn't he he's got the the word sir next to it oh cool there we go um uh they'd put her on 24-hour care uh, her nurse fanny gerardi There you go. <laughs> Fanny Girardi. Uh, was, uh, she'd asked her nurse if she could sew a button on for her. Uh, the nurse did. She was literally gone about two or three minutes and then she realised that um, uh, Countess de Ribiera had disappeared. Um, she'd fled to Westminster Cathedral, as mentioned. I, I had to double-check a couple of times, and it was. It was the same George Crook who was the doorkeeper at Westminster Cathedral, which I think is fascinating. He'd witnessed someone plummet to their death. And he was still working the same job. So he said that uh, she bought a ticket to go up the tower. Uh, there was nothing. He didn't see anything wrong with her. She didn't seem excited. She didn't seem moody. She was very pleasant. She asked for a ticket. She paid her money. She went up the tower smiling. Exactly the same as Maggie. Um, the only difference is she wasn't up there that long. He heard a, a, what he described as a curious thud. She died instantly. Uh, and she was declared a suicide whilst of unsound mind. Um, the, the, the bodies fell in almost identical places. The difference is Maggie was facing, uh, she would have been facing east, northeast. Yeah, she was facing east. So the body actually fell into Ambrosden Avenue and literally hit the ground. Um, it looks like the Countess was facing slightly more southeast. And when you look at the building, there's kind of a, uh, a balcony below and it looked like she hit that, but she still fell good bloody distance which meant she died instantly but because of where she fell no one could go and get her for a good couple of hours uh to find her uh it's a it's an interesting thing with maggie it's kind of is this a spur of the moment thing it, uh, obviously she's written a suicide note but it's it doesn't she doesn't seem to be mentioning it to anyone she doesn't seem to be upset she seems to be going through a regular normal day i think there's interest in the uh the things that are going on between her and the countess whether they knew each other or not i think it's entire I, I don't think they did at all but there's the happiness going on whether it's kind of a resolute kind of idea in their minds that this is what they're going to do they're going to kill themselves there's no stopping them now uh this is all they need to do so that they're, they're kind of Maybe they're smiling because they're at peace. 
And maybe that's why her husband didn't detect anything. You know, he didn't. He said she didn't seem upset. She kind of seemed quite bright and cheerful. She was going about her normal day. It really wasn't anything different. Uh, So um, did she why did she choose to do it in such a public place? It's it's kind of odd, isn't it? You've she's living in a, a relatively modern house for the 1920s. So she's got a gas oven. She's got electrics. She's got a bath. So she could have gassed herself, she could have electrocuted herself, she could have drowned herself. She could have done that all at home in the privacy of her own home. But why, and her kids as well. So why did she choose to do it in such a public place as the Campanile? It was a Saturday, it was almost lunchtime, it was really busy. So why do it there? Why not jump in front of a train? Do you know, there's a multitude of reasons why, and yet she picked the Campanile. Um, the neighbour said that they saw uh, Mrs Davy um, leaving home at about 10am her husband was already at work he said I saw her leave with her two children and although she seemed very pale I did not notice that she was very agitated she, to everyone by all accounts she seemed very nice and normal uh, I thought she was going out shopping although she rarely went out early in the morning although you know that's not really a reason to call the police is it oh please rush round to 23 bridge avenue there's a woman going out shopping and normally she doesn't go shopping until 11 and this is at least 10 you know um so yet she arrived about 11 30 a.m no real reports on what she did prior but you know she lived she lived just off the the high street in hammersmith uh it wouldn't have taken her long to get there so it looks like she did do a bit of shopping firsthand um as mentioned, even George said this was quite normal. It was a relatively cold day, but people do go up the tower. In fact, I wanted to go up the tower when I got there, but unfortunately it wasn't open until 11 o'clock, even though the website says it's open at 9.30. Bastards. Uh, she paid six pence each for each of them, um, but even as she was going up, she did ask whether she could get half price for the kids um, uh, because they're young. So... Do you know her mindset mindset is still focused Do you know it, she's still thinking about money she's got money in her purse um when she was found her bag was around her her shoulder and it still had money in there so she still had money you know um so she had the presence of mind to ask for a discount and uh, she seemed pleasant enough so even if she had written the note um was she going to kill herself that day was she still undecided? Was she going to change her mind? If she had changed her mind, she could have made it back in time. Uh, got the note, destroyed it. We don't know. So, um, yeah. But pe- people, barely anyone noticed her. Same as the the Countess, barely noticed her. Uh, she attracted no attention. Her children weren't crying. They were just kind of normal kids. She was normal. Everything seemed to be fine. Um, so the uh, parapet... Uh, at the top, uh, like the rest of the building, is made of brick and stone. You can see 360 degrees around it. It's kind of it's square. Um, uh, the top of the there's a railing on it, but the railing is only about two foot eleven inches high, so just under three feet high. It's not particularly high. Well, this one wasn't. They have since increased it, so it's uh, it's you can't jump off there. Um, but uh, it. It was declared that it was kind of a safe place. You know, no one, no one would accidentally fall off it, but you could climb over it and jump off it if you had to, which she did. Um, missing time. We still don't know exactly what she did up there. She made it up to the top about eleven forty. There, the suicide and murder happened at two ten. So she was up there two and a half hours. 
Um, no one else seemed to have visited though. We don't know what went on. We know the paper bag was there, which contained some ham sandwiches. Um, some left over, so they definitely ate the sandwiches. Um, which is a, an interesting thing, isn't it? When, which is why I always find it fascinating when people people go, oh, why do we need to know what they had for dinner? It's like, I think it's really important to know what someone ate because if you're planning to kill someone or if you're planning to kill yourself you're going to be nervous and you're not going to want to eat it's like how many times have you you've been for an interview or something and like you can't have your breakfast because you're just too nervous you can't drink a coffee you know things aren't working but when you've done it you feel all right and you think oh i need to have a good feed now because i'm starving and i guess it's the same that if you're going to kill someone or kill yourself you're hardly going to be thinking about oh you know what i'll have some ham sandwiches that's the kind of thing you'd have when you're you're relaxed and you're looking at nice views so i'm still uncertain about whether she was definitely that this was definitely something she was going to do um according to george crook the doorman he described that uh, shortly after two o'clock he was in his office by the north door when i heard a thud uh followed 10 or 15 seconds later by a second thud um some people say it was 20 seconds uh i later heard a third thud uh, and he pushed it uh, into the street and he saw all three dead bodies. Um, as mentioned, the suicide note that was left at home, uh, uh, it was handed to Edwin in court and he confirmed that it was his wife's handwriting. Uh, as as mentioned in the episode, he said, uh, it said, Dearest Jack, thank you all for all you have done for me. You've been a good husband and father. I'm taking the kiddies with me. Nothing seems to go right. Please forgive me. You have never kept me short of anything, Maggie. Which is so vague. So vague. It's like she praises him as her husband and her father. She says she's taking the kids with her, but she doesn't say why. Nothing seems to go right. In what way? Their 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 marriage wasn't, you know, wasn't amazing and picturesque and all that. But, you know, it was, it was, it was fine. They, they didn't have any major problems. Um... So, yeah, we we don't really know what was going on. As mentioned, she had a, a handbag with her. She still had a few coppers inside. They weren't really suffering with any kind of uh, arguing, argument problems, uh, domestic disturbances. There was none of that. So th this is what makes it a really weird situation is that we don't know what's going on. I've got an episode that's coming out next year, um, which is similar i've got a real run of them of of women killing their children which i was going to put into a series but i decided not to in the end but there's another one coming up which is interesting because you can you can see a clear motive on that one but this is a very unclear motive uh eyewitnesses said they saw the uh, the woman and the children falling from the tower there were no signs of a struggle um a lift attendant uh, from Ashley Gardens Mansions, which is just behind, uh, saw the first child, Catherine, drop from the tower. He said, uh, I thought at first that someone had thrown a bundle from the top. There was a, a crush and I saw a body of a little girl lying, lying close to the wall. I instantly looked up and saw a woman holding her child to her breast by her left arm, climbing over the parapet of the Campanile. I shouted, but a moment later she fell into the middle of the roadway. All three were, I think, killed instantly, for their heads were terribly battered and their skulls broken. When I reached them, they had ceased to breathe. I asked a man to inform the police who lived in a section house a few yards away, so uh, that's kind of like a little youth hostel where the police can kind of sleep if they're, uh, they live too far away and they're 
they need to be on duty. Uh, several constables immediately arrived on the scene and the bodies were taken to St George's Hospital Mortuary. Um, another attendant said, uh, soon after two o'clock, uh, I was at the East Coast door when I heard a succession of thuds and running outside and I saw a woman and two children lying in the road. They did not move. One child was near the curb and the other was near the wall of the tower while the wo- woman was close by. I picked up one of the children and carried her to the pavement and then turned to look at the other two bodies. Uh, there was uh, quite a few kind of witnesses on this. Um, uh, da, 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 da. Uh, Bob Hubbard, who was a porter, as mentioned in the episode next door, also witnessed it and picked up one of the children. Uh, he was standing with three lift attendants uh, when it occurred. Uh, one of them said uh, what a terrible sight thud 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 they fell almost as quickly as that although you know this is why you can't believe what people say because some people say that it happened thud 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 whereas others say it happened over about 20 seconds Uh, they fell almost as quickly as that the younger child a pretty little thing fell first the woman next and then the other child at first I thought it was a film stunt they fell so like dummies and made no movement or sound Uh, But I soon realised that something was more serious than that. I then wondered if a madman was responsible for it all, but looking up, I could see no sign of movement on the tower. Uh, Bob Hubbard, who's the same person, said uh, he'd uh, went to pick up the child who'd fallen near the curb. That was the smaller one, Margaret. Uh, He placed her by the side of the woman who had fallen. That's obviously her mum. And said, I think every bone in the poor kid's body had been broken. Uh, looking at this, I tried to do a little bit of maths on this. So, uh, based on the height of the tower uh, and the average and what their weights were, um, Margaret was falling at about thirty-five meters per second. Um, now, it takes about seven seconds to reach terminal velocity, so she hadn't reached top speed yet. But she would have hit the ground after roughly two seconds uh, and at r- roughly ninety miles an hour, which is a hell of a speed. And don't forget, she's hidden. Uh, road and pavement which is made of crushed stone so it's i mean it's not going to give is it uh, her children it took them about two and a half seconds to fall they would have felt fallen at about 80 miles an hour but let's not forget children's kind of bones and um, bodies are a lot softer and a lot more susceptible to injury uh every bone in their body was broken that their skulls were smashed um as mentioned in the episode, though, it's when someone falls from a building, I think everyone thinks it's going to be uh, a big splat of red. But unfortunately, it's it's a splat of red on on the outside, but also more around the middle of the centre. It's kind of more kind of greeny beigey because if you think about it, you've you've got like eight or nine pints of blood in your body, but the human stomach contains two to four liters of gastric fluid. Plus, you've got your food waste and your fecus. So when someone does splat on the floor it's going to be a real mixture of colors that was a nice pleasant conversation wasn't it um they may have had a heart attack as they were falling that does sometimes happen sometimes people die of shock before they hit the earth let's hope that that happened to them especially the kids um but yeah pretty sad pretty sad stuff um can have a celebrity Ooh, that's nice. Uh, Edwin returned um, 
about 1.30 p.m., uh, as, message, as mentioned, his wife and children were missing. He did a bit a search of the house because he was expecting them to be in, and that's when he found the note, which was in her handwriting. Um, a neighbour of the Davies said, We did not know anything had happened until 1 o'clock when Mr. Davy arrived home for lunch. I saw him go upstairs they, uh, and in a few minutes came down in a dazed condition. One of his friends asked him if anything was wrong uh, and he could not speak, but pathetically handed the note left by his wife to a friend. Um, I'm sure something dreadful has happened, he said. Um, it was reported to the police and Mr. Davy reported the disappearance of his wife to the police, who informed Scotland Yard. But by that point, uh, it had been declared that his uh, wife and children were dead. Um, he, as mentioned, he went to the hospital and uh, St. George's Hospital, which is just off Hyde Park. It's not there anymore. Uh, and where he identified their bodies. That must have been absolutely horrible. Um, I think that's it. Uh, Monsignor Canon Martin Bolat, who was the administrator for Westminster Cathedral, said he had given orders to have the tower closed to the public and it would not reopen until it had been rendered impossible for anyone to fall from the balcony. So since even though they'd had a suicide before, they decided at that point, I think I think especially given the fact that kids were involved, they felt it best to put up a... Oh, a railing to make sure that uh, make sure that this kind of thing doesn't happen again. I've had a look and I can't find any more suicides since then. But where there's a will, there's a way, um, and that's all we really know about that case. Bit of a sad one. Bit of a sad one. So uh, let's go and do the quiz questions. So here we go, here we go. Let's see how many you get right. Uh, let's see how many I ballsed up as well. Uh, question number one. It was called the Campanile, but what is the tower actually called? It was St. Edward's Tower. Uh, question number two. Who is the tower named after? It was Edward the Confessor. Question number three. In which decade could you still legally refuse to serve a woman a drink in a pub? It was the 1980s. Question number four. What nationality was the countess whose suicide was similar to Maggie's? She was Portuguese. Question five. How tall in feet was the tower? It was 284. Question six. How many siblings did Maggie have in total? Uh, she had six siblings. Uh, she was one of seven. Question seven. What two bodies of water did the, the Chisholm family live and work by? It was the Caledonian Canal and the River Ness, which leads to Loch Ness. Uh, question eight. What did Edwin Davy do as a job? He was an upholsterer. How many, uh, question nine, how many stops east is Hammersmith to Victoria on the district line? Seven. And question ten, what did Archie, Maggie's youngest brother, die of? It was TB, tuberculosis. So there you go. Whoa, that's me done. Hope you enjoyed that episode. If you can actually enjoy an episode about someone committing suicide and killing their children. 
oh, I'm going to head off to Costa Coffee and abuse their electricity and their Wi-Fi. And, um, oh, yeah, that's me done. So I hope you enjoyed that. Uh, we will be back next week. Another one-parter. It's one-parter, 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 two-parter. And then maybe something for Christmas. So have yourself a good week, folks. Stay safe and be good. Thanks for supporting the show. Be good. Lots of love. Uh... Bye-bye. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear, and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com.